God runs after us when we run away from him. Open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. It'll be on page 451 in the Bible, the Pew Bible in front of you. God runs after us even when we run away from him. That is the story of this phenomenal book, this phenomenal historical man who went through some pretty crazy things. But if we want to see how far God runs after us, we, we actually need to understand what it looks like for us to run away from him. You see, Jonah is actually one of the most picturesque and memorable stories about what it means for us to run away from God. But it's also one of the most picturesque and memorable stories about what it looks like for God to run after us. Jonah chapter 1, I'll actually start in verse 1, but we'll be preaching uh, through verses 4 to 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, he hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and, and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desire to hear preaching today. And we know that you have ordained preaching to be the chief means of converting sinners and changing sinners. But we all come to this sermon weak and needy. We cannot grasp this truth unless you write it on our hearts. The evil one seeks to swoop down and take away from our hearts what will be heard. Our own sin seeks to harden our hearts 
to not hear this gospel of grace. The world seeks to distract us with cares and concerns that might even need to be attended after this. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, give us mighty assistance in proclaiming and hearing your word this morning. Father, give me as the preacher divine unction to preach. But Father, give all of us divine unction to hear and to believe. We have all come to you so that we might see Jesus. And it is in his name we ask all of this. Amen. Have you ever done something or said something that turned out to be completely false? In an 1876 Western Union internal memo, while speaking about the invention of the telephone, one person said this, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. That did not age very well. Well, every single one of us have had plenty of moments where we've done something or we've said something that turned out to be, to be completely false. But the question is that when these moments happen, will we have a change of mind? Will we repent? What is repentance? Repentance is when, by God's grace, not by our own strength, but by God's grace, we turn away from sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith and obedience. You see, Jonah right here is doing something that is completely false. As he runs away from God, who is the God of life, he is getting more and more death. He's only making things worse for himself, but also this, he's also making things worse for others. But the question is this, when Jonah runs away from God and when God runs after Jonah, will Jonah repent? Will God save Jonah from Jonah's own destruction? One of the major ways in which we grow in repentance is actually to see how we run away and yet also how God runs after us. That is really the main point of this section of scripture and I want to if I can give you a phrase that I will try to repeat it's this don't run away from God run towards God in repentance go back to verse 4 but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up what we see here in verses 4 through 6 is this. We try to ignore God, but God notices us. We try to ignore God, we try to put him out of our minds, but God never forgets us. You see here this great wind. It's actually really interesting because this word great is used numerous times in this section of scripture. In verse 2, God called the city of Nineveh a great city. In verse 4, says that there will be a great wind, and then later on it will talk about how there will be great fear. But here we see this great storm, and in verse 4 when it says, but the Lord hurled 
a great wind upon the sea. Who is the subject of that verb? The Lord. Now it's actually really clear in the Hebrew text that when that word is, is written, the tense is actually saying God is the cause of that storm. God Almighty sent that storm after Jonah. It does need to have us reflect on this. Has our, has our overly scientific age, has it caused us to forget that God is sovereign? What is divine sovereignty and divine providence? Well, what it is is that God upholds all things. He directs all things. He governs all things. From the greatest to the least, God is sovereign and he rules over everything. And he does so by his most wise and most holy providence. In other words, everything that God ordains in life, it is always by his most wise and most holy providence. We can never look to God and say, you don't know what you're doing. Now that's not always easy to say that, right? It's not always, not always easy to refrain from saying that. But by bringing storms into our lives in God's ordained providence, we need to remember that God is working all things, not some things. This is what Romans 8.28 means. That He is working all things for His glory and your good. All things, not just some. He's working all things to the praise of His glory of his wisdom and power and justice and goodness and mercy. We see here that he hurled a great wind upon the sea. That word for hurl is actually the same word used of Saul whenever he tries to pick up his spear and hurl it at David. One person said about wind in ancient thought Wind often serves as a divine weapon in defense of Yahweh's people or for their chastisement. It is actually kind of interesting because in the Hebrew text, wind is the same word used for spirit. And isn't that actually true in life? That God will, as it were, hurl the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, towards us to wake us up. It says here that the ship threatened to break up. This is actually really amazing because it's actually a type of personification of the ship. It actually is saying almost literally the ship thought it would break up. Even interesting, in the Hebrew words, the words sound like waves and wind. It says hishavah and lahishaver. Ancient Mediterranean sailors often held the belief that for a ship, that they would often, as one person says, they would be imbued with the spirit of a guardian deity. But isn't that interesting because in that ancient thought that probably no doubt these, these mariners, these sailors might have thought that that guardian deity of that ship was not doing a good job. And we do need to remind ourselves of this, is that whenever we run away from God, we must remember that there is no other God or no other idol that can keep us safe from Yahweh. When it says that the ship expected 
to break up, it threatened to break up, we actually see there that the ship is actually, as it were, more obedient to God than Jonah was. You see, what Jonah thought would hide him from God, that thing, as it were, was actually obeying God. We often try to frustrate God's plans, don't we? But thank goodness that by his mercy, he frustrates our plans that would destroy us. And it's because he loves us. He hurled a great wind upon the sea. The sea was very interesting in ancient thought as well. One commentator named John Mackay says this, the mythology of surrounding nations at that time, they viewed the sea as a primeval force which had to be placated. But Israel asserted that Yahweh had created the sea, and as the creator, he exercised rightful lordship over it. It is interesting also that in Jewish thought, as we had mentioned last week, that the sea is referred to, as you go down into the depths of it, it is referred to as the realm of the dead. Why do I give you all this information? Here's why. Because as God is pursuing Jonah, Jonah, as he runs away from God, he's running into death. That's inevitably what happens in our lives when we sin, when we run away from God. We trade the God of life, and when we trade life, we get death. But God is throwing this great storm at Jonah to save him from his own destruction. But look at verse 5. Then the, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Now there's this great fear. There was a great storm, that was a great fear. These sailors, these mariners are, are not Jewish sailors. They would be Gentiles. They would be actually Phoenician. They were of Canaanite descent. They were actually, they were renowned for navigating the waters, which is really interesting because how bad must this storm be if professional sailors were scared? They had a trade route along the Mediterranean. They, they, they had done this many, many times before. This was no average storm. There was something unique about this. And when it says there in verse 5 that the mariners were afraid, and then it says, and each cried out to his own God, don't you see the contrast between Jonah and the mariners? Who is actually fearing more? Who is actually praying more? The sailors. We see that rather than fearing that Jonah had, it says he had gone down. Look at, look at that in the third sentence of verse 5. But Jonah had gone down even though the, the sailors were fearing and they're trying to hurl cargo over the ship. It is good to think about why does God bring disaster? Stillwater is a town that has seen plenty of it. You, as individuals, have seen plenty of it in your own lives. Why does God bring disaster and calamity? Well, here's what John Calvin says. When a calamity happens, it is the duty of everyone to examine himself and his whole life before God. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 13, there was a tragedy that had happened in that day where several people had died and 
And they were trying to ask him, why did this happen? And he tells them, it's for everyone, those who were part of it and those who were not. It's for everyone to reflect on their life and to repent. here's Here's what disaster and calamity is not. For the believer, it is not God getting back at you. But rather, it is God giving you a sober awakening to see what, in the end, what sin can do to you. Brothers and sisters, we we don't know all the reasons why God brings a particular suffering in our life. It's actually most wise that we don't try to read into it too much unless it is very clear. And we certainly don't try to read into it too much if it's just us thinking about it. We know from Scripture in Psalm 32, sometimes God does send suffering in direct response to sin. But many times God sends suffering to actually grow faith. Sometimes God will even send suffering to prevent further sin. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4. As one author has said, tragedies remind us that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Now once again, as I told RUF this past Wednesday, if you are a believer, you cannot interpret this suffering in your life as God's wrath. Why? Because Jesus took God's wrath. Okay? It is not that Jesus is part of it and that God says, well, I need to make Cindy suffer a little bit more. Let me really get her right. No, Jesus. Jesus is enough for Cindy. God poured out his wrath on Jesus, but he brings suffering into the life of the believer as part of discipline. And that's what's happening here with Jonah. You see, suffering, we do need to remember this, whether it is ours or others, It is meant for all of us to reflect and to repent. It's not saying that you better repent of this or it'll continue. No. But it is saying repent of your sins so that one day you might enter heaven where sin and suffering will be no more and you will forever be with Jesus. Amen? It's also how we must counsel people. We don't sit there and say, well, do you have enough faith? Or what did you do to make this happen? Let us be slow. Let us be wise in how we counsel people in their suffering. We see here in the second sentence of verse 5 that, and they, the mariners, the sailors, they were hurling cargo that was in the ship. They were hurling it overboard to lighten it. It's interesting here. You see that same word, they hurled cargo. Well, in verse 4, the Lord hurled the great wind. Sailors, they're trying to lighten the load of the ship, hoping that the, hoping that the ship would not sink because of the cargo. But here's what's interesting. You see this, that even as the sailors are fighting against God's sovereignty, it won't work. It's actually interesting to see the narrative here that from verse 4 all the way to verse 5, we see, watch this downward notion in this narrative. God from heaven hurls a wind down to the sea. And then the narrative moves down to seeing the ship. And then it goes down to seeing the ship's deck. And then finally it goes down to below the ship's deck where Jonah is. Here's what one person says. In other words, the narrative as it descends, it's pulling the reader down to the depths with Jonah. Because really what this book is doing is this. It's calling us out. It's showing us how we run away from God. And then no matter how long we run away, no matter how far down into the depths we go, God finds us out. We try to ignore God, but 
He always remembers us. In verse 5, when it says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, it's emphasized there, Jonah, just like it was for God in verse 4. It's emphasizing the fact that Jonah, how different he is from the sailors. It does actually make us ask a question here because it says that Jonah had fallen into a deep, fast sleep. Why is that interesting? This word for sleep, this particular word for sleep, is used in Genesis 2 when God caused Adam to fall asleep so that he could take Eve out of his rib. It's also the same word used for sleep whenever God causes Abram to fall asleep so that he sees the vision of God walking alone through the sacrificed animals. In other words, it was a a type of a divine sleep, as it were. And I think maybe, maybe the text is saying this. As Jonah runs away from God, doesn't it, doesn't it appear like he's trying to be God? Is, isn't that what we do? Whenever we run away from God, we're telling God no so that we can tell ourselves yes. See, running away from God, and we've experienced this, Running away from God can so wear us out physically and spiritually. That sinful anxiety and that, as one author says, that inward tension. Maybe you've been there where you felt that you've been trying to run away from God for so long. And it does, it leaves you exhausted. In a lot of ways, we are like Jonah and we literally just try to go to sleep so that we don't have to think about that. And that is often why for some of us, right before we fall asleep at night... We hate that moment above all other moments in our day because we're alone with our thoughts. It's actually what happens whenever people are struggling with addictions, whether alcohol or sex or drugs or whatever else. We are trying to sleep things off, as it were. We're trying to ignore. You see, what we actually need to speak into this modern day is this, is that we can't sleep away our conviction of sin if we don't confess our sins and run to Christ for forgiveness time does not heal all sin and we actually need to be very careful of this we need to be very careful of psychologizing away our sin we have often labeled things as anxiety and depression in certain circumstances when it is actually godly shame that God wants to use to wake us up that's not every case, but it is certainly some of, the, some of the time. You see, if you're an unbeliever, you need to hear this. Is that you can do all you want to delay God's judgment day, but even when you try to forget it, it doesn't go out of existence. This is why we need to repent. By God's grace that we turn away from our sins, that we turn to Jesus Christ in faith and obedience. But there is actually, we see mercy here in this word. Because whenever we see that word asleep in scripture, often on the heels of that, what we see is that God's about to bring mercy. Amen? Isn't that good news? Because it is when we are running away from God that God runs after us. Verse 6, so the captain said, came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Always have a pet peeve whenever 
people read that portion of text and it's monotone. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? I mean, this is a daggum hurricane. I mean, think about him just stumbling back and forth trying to hold his grip and he comes across Jonah. What do you mean? Let us remember that the Bible is never boring, but sometimes the way we read it and preach it can be boring. But now the captain comes and exposes Jonah and isn't that actually what we need sometimes? And we do need to be called out at times. This doesn't mean we have a calling out culture. That's just legalism. But speaking the truth in love means that we choose wise and timely moments to graciously point out someone's sin. Sometimes we need that. But it's interesting when he says, in the next words, he says, Arise! That's the same word, you see it right there. It's the same word in verse 2 when God told Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Ooh, you see what's happening there. Do you see how God is using a pagan sailor to bring Jonah conviction? But it is actually also interesting there because it says, arise, call out to your God. Notice what God's doing here. He's not getting ready to rake Jonah over the coals. He's, God, through this pagan sailor, is saying, come to me. Don't keep running away. Call out to me. That's what we need. Satan loves to make us think, well, I can't go back to God now. Our conscience, our simple conscience will often say, say, no, you can't pray. You don't need to go back to him. You're too simple. You're too dirty. God is bidding you this morning, come back to me. Call out to me. You see, God is using this storm in Jonah's life to make Jonah more dependent. Sin, sin is always the notion of us trying to be independent. But holiness, godliness, repentance, is moving us to be more dependent. See, that's why we don't need to run away from God, but we need to run towards Him in repentance. Sometimes we can think this in our modern day, that whenever we run away from God, well, it's fine as long as it doesn't affect others. You, we've heard this, sometimes it's even said, well, I don't care who someone marries as long as, you know, as long as it doesn't affect me. The idea that you can do whatever you want as long as you want just as long as it doesn't hurt others. That's a false idea because you've got to think about this. The first problem with that is define hurt. Second problem with that, define others. The third problem with that, define the other. See, God desires to love other people, but how does he do it? Through us. So actually think about this, when we don't pursue the Lord, we actually hurt other people. You see that, right? There's a man in one of our previous churches who, he was married and he had kids. and He fell into same-sex attraction and embraced the lifestyle of being gay and 
It ended in divorce, and it destroyed his marriage. It destroyed his parenting. It destroyed his friendship. It did affect people. And one day, I remember hearing about one of the sons saying something like this. And this is a younger than 10-year-old saying this. Why is daddy doing what's wrong? My friend, all, all of our sins affect each other. We can't believe the notion that things are just, it's just you and it doesn't affect us. Human beings are intimately connected to each other. And we see actually how Jonah's sin is affecting these sailors. We need to remember that gossip can hurt. Gossip can get someone fired. Gossip bears false witness. Gossip can promote injustice. Gossip can get someone canceled. But we also need to see the danger here of Jonah because Jonah is in a high up position as prophet. And the higher up in a position you are, when there is sin, it affects more people. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is why your officers, we desperately need your prayers. We desperately need your prayers. Being an officer in the church is not saying, well, these men, they got it all together. They're really good. Y'all be like us. No. Fellow sinners, fellow sufferers who are learning to be more and more dependent on God's grace. And Satan, to hinder God's mission, he would love to bring a moral scandal from one of your officers. But we also must remember and this is why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, we need to pray for our public leaders. It is very clear that as our public politicians are embracing sinful and unbiblical ideologies, it is affecting people. We need to be a church that prays for our leaders. To pray, as Paul said to Timothy, that as we pray for them, whether we agree with them or not, that we might be able to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. My friends, what we need to be reminded of is this. Don't run away from God. Run towards God in repentance. Jonah's just sitting there trying to sleep it off, trying to ignore God, but God notices him. But when he knows that God notices him, he still tries to go and hide from God. But God will find them out. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. It's interesting where they say, We need to find out on whose account this evil has come upon us. It's the same thing that God said about Nineveh in verse 2. He said, their evil has come up before me. Here's what's so fascinating about this story. By running away from God's word, Jonah entered into the same evil that he hoped that Nineveh would not escape. Isn't that interesting? By running away from God's word, Jonah entered the same evil that he hoped Nineveh would never escape. See, what the narrative is actually telling us here is that Jonah and therefore Israel is actually just like Nineveh. What are these lots? What does that mean? It's 
It's actually interesting. They're kind of these little stones. They're kind of shaped like dice. They were used throughout the ancient Near East for divination and to try to know the will of a certain god. The lots would be used in pairs, often like we use dice today in games. And each face on the dice had a dark color or a light color. And so when you would roll the, the stones... If it landed with the dark side up on both of them, it would be a negative answer. If it landed with the light side up on both of them, it would be a positive answer. So maybe they would have thought about going down the line of let's roll the, the dice or let's cast the lots for each person. But finally, after many negative answers, then it was Jonah's turn. And as we actually read in Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out. And it found out Jonah. As we know from Proverbs 16:33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. They pepper him with questions there. You see that in verse 8. Also, just pet peeve of mine whenever people read that monotone, tell us on whose account this evil has come up upon us. What is your occupation? Um, you better tell us, man. We're, we're going to be toast if you don't if you don't come clean. He gives this very awkward answer in verse 9. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. When he says that I'm a Hebrew, it, it doesn't just mean that he's an Israelite. It means that he is a native Israelite. But then he says, I fear the Lord. Now look at that word, the Lord. It's spelled in all caps. That means the covenant name Yahweh, which is so ironic because Yahweh had made a covenant with his people saying this, I will not let you go. And even when you run away, I will run after you. What Jonah's trying to do is impossible. It's almost like you want, we want to tell him, Come on, bro, are you kidding me? But isn't that the same thing we do? That's why sin makes no sense. It is actually fascinating because Jonah says, I fear the Lord. We know from Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, which means that Jonah's clearly not fearing the Lord here because he's running away from him, which shows that he's in utter foolishness. What is the fear of the Lord? As Charles Spurgeon said, the fear of the Lord is to lean toward him. But isn't Jonah doing the very opposite? He's leaning away. It's this hypocritical, hypocritical lifestyle he's living. And it is interesting because the sailors are picking up on this and they're realizing, frankly, the stupidity of the sin. That his religion is only word deep. And that is often what can happen even when unbelievers look at us and they say, well, don't you see who your God is from the Bible? I remember hearing it said about evangelism that one person was speaking to an unbeliever and they said, you believe in God, right? The God of the Bible? They said, yes. Well, the Bible talks a lot about hell, doesn't it? Yes. 
well, then why are y'all not preaching that truth? Because if that's true, that's a very unloving thing for you to do to not talk about it. Now, it doesn't mean we're like the on-campus preachers who are just fire and brimstone. But it is often how unbelievers can even see the hypocritical nature of when we run away from God. He says that, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's actually really important because back in that day, these mariners would have believed that there was a God here and a God there, a God of the sea, a God of the sky. But Jonah is saying there's only one God, and he rules over all. He is the one who rules over the sea and the dry land. It's actually a good reminder for us to think about what happened in Exodus when God's bringing the ten plagues. Those, those ten plagues weren't random. <laughs> Let's just send them some locusts and some frogs. That sounds like a good idea. No, those were symbols of Egypt's gods. And the ten plagues was God saying, that is not a God, that is not a God, that is not a God. I am God. And that's what's happening here. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we don't need to run away from God. We need to run towards Him in repentance. They even say here, look at verse 10, what is this that you've done? Here's what's fascinating as I was studying this this week. That's the same question that God asked to Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden. What have you done? I do wonder this. Do you think at the beginning of Jonah's ministry that he ever thought he would end up here? We need to be reminded of this, that Satan has us right where he wants us if we think our sin is manageable. If we think that we can't fall the same way others have. Satan is a mastermind in leading us astray. And our sinful nature, were God to allow it, would, would conquer us immediately. That is why we desperately need to depend on God's grace. You see, we can very easily run away from God's word. We can, often what's happening today, unfortunately, in the American Western church is that there's theological straying away from God's word. A moral straying away from God's word. Once again, please pray for your officers. Pray for anyone who teaches a Bible study. Pray for anyone who's discipling someone. Because we will be led astray if we're not careful. That's why we have the mission statement for the gospel of grace to keep us focused. That's why we always want to keep coming back to the scriptures to keep us focused. We don't want to be issue driven. We want to be gospel driven. Because we're prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And so we ask him, take our hearts, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. If you're running away from the Lord, don't run away from him. Run towards him in repentance. Because even when we try to ignore God, he notices us. Even when we try to hide from God, he finds us out. And as our sermon series theme is, even when we run away from God, he runs after us. Jonah, as a prophet, is representing his people. And in this narrative, what we actually see is that Jonah is a picture of the northern tribes of Israel who were also running away from God. Jonah, the runaway prophet, represents a runaway people. 
And like Jonah, the people of Israel, they were fickle, they were faithless. Their religion was only words. They were hip. Why is God doing this in Jonah's life? Sometimes in God's most wise, righteous, and gracious providence, he leaves us to our own corruption for a season. Now, he never takes away his love. He never takes away his covenant promises. But sometimes he leaves us to reveal to us the hidden strength of corruption in our hearts. Sometimes that is part of God's wise and gracious providence, is that sometimes he will leave us, as it were, to show us that sin is more powerful than us. He does this to to make us more humble and to raise us up to become more dependent, to learn to to crave his, his presence and his promises, to crave his mercy. And sometimes he does this actually to keep us from really bad destruction of ourselves. Some of you have seen this. You've seen what your heart is capable of. That is actually a, it's a mercy of God to show us what our hearts could do to keep us from what might be done. You see, if God loves you, he will do all that it takes to bring you to himself. Amen? He might leave us for a season, but he is always there. He is always by our side, and he will not let sin win. What's also interesting we know from Scripture is this, is that Israel represents the church. The church, the New Testament church, is the spiritual Israel. And it does show us that as the church, just like Israel, that we can be just as sinful. Christians can sin really grievous sins. But, isn't it interesting that the people who God loves to use to spread the gospel are the very people who have run away. That's why we say we are for the gospel of grace, not for a system of works. The only preacher who God calls is a sinner. I don't know if you know this, but I will sin against you. We will sin against each other. But God in his mercy desires to use us, sinners ministering to sinners. It's amazing. You see, like Jonah and like Israel, we need to be reminded that the church cannot escape her calling, even when the storms of culture arise. The message is always going to be unpopular in certain things. They'll like parts of it, but not all of it. But we can't shy away from God's word because it's all of God's word that brings all of life. It's all of God's word that brings all of the gospel. And that's hard. Some of you may not ever want to come back again. Some of you may be running away in your heart. You might still attend church, but you might be saying, I don't want to hear that news again. But God loves you and he wants you to hear the whole gospel because that is what saves you. Amen? Are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we ashamed of 
biblical ethics? Or are we ashamed of how God transforms people? Now that shows a lot about how we run away from God, right? Whew. That's when we say we don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads us. But there's also another parallel. Because in Mark 4, 35 to 41, something very interesting happens with Jesus. You see, like Jonah, Jesus was also in a boat during a storm. Like Jonah, he had entered a storm so strong that it was clearly supernatural. Like Jonah, he had fallen into a deep sleep in the bottom of the boat. Like Jonah, he was asleep when the sailors or the disciples were panicking. They were trying to save themselves, and, and so they rudely awake Jesus. But eventually, as we'll see next week, Jesus and Jonah eventually see the sea be calm. Both sets of sailors in those stories, they want to know who this God is. They both respond with godly fear. Both Jonah and Jesus would even feel sorrow unto death in Jonah chapter 4 and Jesus in Gethsemane. But there's this difference. As Jonah was running away from God, Jesus is God running after us. Amen? As Jonah is disobeying God's word, Jesus is always perfectly obeying it. As Jonah is sleeping to escape, Jesus is sleeping because he trusts his father. As Jonah is escaping his calling, Jesus is embracing his calling. As Jonah is hurled into the sea for it to be calm, Jesus would have to take a storm of God's wrath on the cross. My friends, this is the God who runs after us when we run away from him. Amen? It is his mercy and his grace. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. She was not content with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove. She dreamed of having a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mom's heart by running away, knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria, the mother. She hurriedly packed up everything to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered into a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all, mon all the money she had to take pictures of herself. With her purse full of these small black and white photos, she took the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew that Christina, her daughter, had no way of earning money, and what that would often end up in would be her spending her nights in bars, hotels, nightclubs, or any place where she could satisfy, satisfy someone's needs. She went to all, her mother went to all these places trying to find her daughter. And everywhere she would go, she would take one of those pictures and she would tape it to a bathroom mirror or on a hotel bulletin board. On the back of each photo, she wrote a note. Finally, one day, after a long time of pursuing this lifestyle of running away, Christina, the daughter, walked down the stairs and she looked up to find a picture of her mother on a telephone pole. Her eyes burned, her throat tightened as she walked across the room and she removed the small photo. And here's what was written on the back. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter, please come home. Praise God. 
And that's the gospel message for you this morning. However far you've run, whatever you've done, come home, repent, and you'll receive mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would write these words upon our hearts, that you would refresh us, that you would convict us. Oh, that you would help us to run to Jesus because he is home. And he is the one who grants repentance. So would you be with us now? Help us to respond with confessing and with singing. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.